I don't want you to lose that line in the song you just sang. There's nothing worth more than your capital Y love for me. I, I hope that you know Jesus. And if you do know Jesus today, I'm excited for us to talk for a little while and remember the peace and the rest that we have because of his love for us, his unconditional love that no one can change. He's persistent and consistent in loving us despite our brokenness. So as you show up today and as I sit here and, and speak from God's word, we rest in his great love. Last week, we got to get together and we, we uh, talked about We Serve, capital W, capital E, Serve. And I got the opportunity to share with you a story where Jesus actually points at the disciples who are sitting in front of him, which included certainly the 12 and, and probably some other folks. And he points at them and, and Mark says he looks at them and he says to them that they're his brothers and his mother and his sisters. It's, it's this... Uh, Man, pretty affectionate moment where Jesus actually communicates to the disciples that they're family, that they're at a deep level family. And so then we, uh, we talked about serving. I got the opportunity last Sunday to be at Radius White Knoll and the principal, Mr. Alt uh, Mr. Daltrey from uh, White Knoll High School came and he spoke before both services and he just, he just thanked the folks at Radius White Knoll for serving. It was, boy, before I walked up on stage, it was all I could do to keep from tearing up because he said stuff like, in 41 years of leading in schools, uh, he has rarely had a relationship like he has with Radius White Knoll where he can just call them and they come through. And then he walked through six, seven stories of specific instances where Radius White Knoll was served. And so whether you're over at Radius Irmo or out at Radius Rocky Creek, we as our family, that's just a moment to be, to be proud and to celebrate that we serve. What's interesting is that... Uh, something that Radius has done for lots of years and, and, and really we're identified with in our community and so, so we're excited about it. But there's this one fear that I have that we could potentially serve without loving. So it's possible to serve others, even to be extraordinarily generous and not love. So today we'll just take another we journey and say we love because if we love, we will serve. It's impossible to love and not serve, but it's possible to serve and not love. So we love. Uh, this week was my 31st wedding anniversary. So I've been married 31 years. I know that's hard to believe. Uh, Cheryl and I walked the aisle on uh, September the 2nd, 1989. And uh, it's been quite the journey, right? It's been a journey of love. The movies often make it about the three years that we dated and the heightened romantic part of the love. A lot of the movies capture that and they call that love. Uh, some movies make it all about the sex. That's what love's really about, the physical connection. Some movies actually will, will go all the way to the end of our lives together. So when, whenever the end comes from me and Cheryl, they'll, they'll capture those moments and they'll, they'll make the longevity of our relationship that all about love. Rarely is there a movie that captures the 31 years that we've just lived together, right? Rarely do people talk about how we've gone through all these years together. 
After 31 years, we celebrated Olive Garden last night. Nobody talks about going to Olive Garden. We forgot our leftovers on the table. We were upset when we got to the house. You forget the day-to-day, the mundane. Rarely does anybody capture that as, as love. And yet, I'd argue, when you try to define something like love, it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard to take the beginning or the end or the middle and say that that's love. But we know that there's some beauty in marriage. Those of you that know Jesus, even even if you don't know Jesus, the world kind of gets that when when two people join their lives together, there's, there's a beauty in the beginning and in the end and everything in between because no longer is it about me, it's, it's we. So Cheryl and I have had six kids, so we have six children. We bought a house, just refinanced it this week for two and three eighths. Unbelievable, right? We refinanced the house. Cheryl and I have been church planners, so 12 times we've attempted to plant a church. We have tried to plant those churches together. When we started having children, we decided that she was going to stay home. That was just our decision. Not necessarily, it's not the only decision or the right decision. That's what we wanted to do, and we decided. It's, it's this beauty of the we that you rarely capture in the movies because it's generally about uh, one or the other person isolated, and, and then it's all about the chemistry, and it's not really about the depth of relationship that we share in marriage. Jesus actually says in Mark, he's actually arguing against the Pharisees who in a religious way are wanting to divorce their wives. They just want to move on. You have to read the passage. It's it's intense in chapter 10. And he says, the two are united. He uses this powerful word, united into one. So so we's almost almost not strong enough of a term. When Jesus talks about me and Cheryl joining our lives together, he says, we're united as one. And so we are uh, constantly, when we tell our story, we use that pronoun over and over and over. So it's pretty cool uh, when we look at our bank account, that's our money. So when we uh, make a decision to give, then we are giving. I still, one of my favorite moments in our married life is we gave away a 92 Honda Civic. It doesn't sound very valuable. It was really valuable to us. And both of us had to wrestle it through and we, we had these conversations and, and now it's a part of our story and we celebrate that day when we made that gift. We loved the family. We, we wanted to give it away to them. And so it's this really, really fun time when we loved by being generous. When you really get we right, you can't know John Reeves without knowing Cheryl Reeves, right? You don't really fully know me unless you've met and had a conversation with Cheryl. You you can't ever really fully know Cheryl unless you have a conversation with me. And Jesus institutes this pronoun we to the early church, to the very first disciples in powerful ways. He does it over and over and over. Last week, we saw him call the disciples uh, his family. And then we saw him teach them to serve. But all of that service comes from what we want to talk about today, which is we love. It's a powerful passage in John chapter 13. It's interesting because Jesus is sitting with his disciples. He's already teaching them how to be a we. So the 12 of them around the table, Jesus, you can imagine, I always imagine him sitting at the end. They're they're celebrating a meal together. They're all together. And then there's this this moment where Jesus tells the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. 
These guys have been running together for three years. They're tight. They know each other inside and out, at least they thought. And Jesus says, one of them's going to betray me. And, and it's this really interesting moment. John, uh, one of the disciples, leans into Jesus and he says, Lord, who is it? Who's, who's going to betray you? And Jesus actually acquiesces. He, he gives him the answer. He says, hey, I'm about to dip my bread in the bowl and then I'm going to hand it to one of the guys and it'll be that guy. So Jesus takes his bread, dips it in a bowl and hands it to Judas Iscariot. So there's only one guy at the table that knows what's going down. John's watching. Judas takes the bread and then very quickly leaves the room. It's almost as if Jesus needs to remove him from the room so he can have this next conversation. And so you got John sitting here with all this emotion. I, I mean, I've been, he's the treasurer, right? You ever watch the movie and you're trying to figure out who the villain is. And then when you finally know who he is, you're going back through your mind. You're trying to remember the scenes and how he acted in all the scenes previous. I'm sure that's what John's doing at the table. We've been running together for three years and he's been handling the money all that time. No wonder. Jesus kind of, I feel like when he lets John in on this information, John's mind just, you know, when you hear bad news or good news, oftentimes it just sears your mind. And look what Jesus says next to all the disciples, but John's taking it in through that lens. The time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the son, he will give his own glory to the son. And he will, do it, uh, he will do so at once. I can imagine John processing Judas leaving the room as the betrayer and wondering what he's up to right now. And Jesus makes this really profound statement that I'm sure the disciples couldn't get their head around until far later of what's about to go down. And then he uses this great phrase. He says, he looks at the disciples, 11 grown men, and he says, dear children. Uh, a better translation would be little children. It's really affectionate. He, he's speaking to a family, like to, to his brothers, his mother, his sisters from last week. There's this, this deep family rela relationship. He says, little children. What's interesting, John Piper, uh, a great preacher, he's up in Minneapolis. He's, he connects this passage with the whole book of 1 John. So if you want to take some time, and you know how your New Testament works, there's, we're, we're talking from the book of John, which is one of the gospels. It's the account of Jesus. And then the same writer writes some smaller books later, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John, he uses this word, little children, multiple times. And when he uses it, he actually uses it toward us as disciples. So it kind of connects us to the disciples in this passage. So when he says little children, you and I, based on 1 John, can be excited that Jesus is not only talking to the original disciples, but he's speaking to you and me, his flock. He says this, I will be with you only a little while longer. And as I told the Jewish, Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I loved you. You must love each other for your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. There's this interesting line. Jesus has been with these guys for three years. They spent day on top, top of day together. They probably can finish his sentences at this point. And so they are truly his disciples. They're his followers. And all of a sudden, like, like, just in a moment's time, he looks at them and he says, you'll no longer be defined by my presence. 
Like generally, when you think of a follower or a disciple, of a, a disciple, a disciple is following the master or the leader. He's always in his presence. And Jesus, and just all of a sudden, he's going to flip the switch. He's going to say, my physical presence no longer defines you as a disciple. What does he change? Like, so he says, I'm not going to be here, but your identifier will be what? But your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So all of a sudden, it goes from being identified by being in the presence of Jesus to being identified as a group of people that love so well like Jesus who walked the planet. That's how they're going to know you're my disciples. It's interesting that word love, uh, it's a, uh, like we said, very difficult word to define. But if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is just constantly talking about love. He's talking about his love for us. He's talking about our love for others. He even says that we should love our enemies. It's just this ongoing thing. So it's really interesting the way our nation responds uh, when oftentimes the church or folks that believe in the Bible stand up for the truth, they call it hate. <laughs> I think it's just the enemy's way of being really personal for us because Jesus said we'd be identified by our love. And so when someone says that we are haters or hate mongers, it's, it's really offensive. And it's, it's a really good moment to look in the mirror for all of us, right? So when, when we stand up for the truth about marriage, that a man is supposed to be married to a woman, and that is God-ordained from the beginning, from creation. Mark 10 argues for this very specifically, right? We're standing up for the truth. And someone will say, hey, the church hates certain factions of our, of our community because they stand up for that fact. Well, it's just not true, right? It's just not true. We, there's no hate there. We're just simply presenting the truth that was established at the beginning of time at creation. However, throughout the years, we take that truth and sometimes dip it in arrogance and then the tone in which we talk about Mark chapter 10 comes off, comes off like hate. It comes off like we uh, aren't very excited about people. Sometimes like we're more excited about ourselves. And quite honestly, man, it just doesn't look like what Jesus was teaching in this very passage. Certainly, we hold to the truth. If you're part of Radius, you know we, we'll talk about any passage in this book. And we want to hold the truth high. But we don't want to dip it in arrogance. We want to dip it in humility and hold out the truth in love. And sometimes we'll be called haters and we just got to live with that, right? But we're going to overwhelm them with our love, which produces service. And so they're always going to have to wrestle with, man, that's a tough truth they're holding up. But on the other hand, those guys go out of their way, it seems like, from their heart to serve us. And we hope that over the course of time, that points them to our Savior. Really interesting, Martin Luther King Jr., who wanted to lead a revolution, right? Particularly lead a revolution for minorities and very specifically uh, for African-Americans in the United States. So in the late 50s and the 60s, he had just all these statements about love. It would be, it would be really pretty incredible if, if he could speak into our time right now. He said stuff like this. I've decided to stick with love. Hate's too great a burden to bear. What a great line. Be great to just drop that on uh, social media every once in a while, right? 
He said, uh, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I believe that the unarmed truth and unconditional love will have its final word in reality. And that is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than, than any evil triumph. All just great statements about the power of love, which he learned from the source of all love. Our God who says that he is love. I kept, kept thinking when I was reading John Piper this week about this new commandment. I never noticed this before. It was great to hear him talk about it. He, uh, he, he grabbed this idea of John's mind being fully engaged when Jesus uh, dismisses, in essence, Judas from the table and then says to the rest of the disciples, a new commandment I give to you. And, and then he captures this other book that first John that John wrote. And he, he basically, John Piper would say that he wrote this uh, in response to this one time being in front of Jesus. Look at some of the quotes from first John. First John says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. It's an identifier. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not love your brother in Christ. 1 John 2, 9 and 10. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates the fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. 1 John 2, 7 and 8. Just before that. Uh, Dear friends, I'm not writing the new commandment to you, which is interesting because he just said it's a new. He'll, he'll explain here in just a second. Rather, it's an old one that you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. And let's check out verse eight. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. So what, what is it, right? He says it's a new commandment that we should love one another. How is it new? Is it the 11th commandment? Like we know there's 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Is it the... 614th commandment, if I recall, if you go through the first five books of the Old Testament, there's 16, 613 laws. Is it another law to be added? Nah, nah, perhaps. Perhaps it's the first commandment. It's really interesting. Uh, Jesus, when he sums up the law, what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, mind, and, strength, mind, and soul. Uh, and then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He just sums it all up into one little nutshell. Notice the word love's used multiple times in his summation of a law that primarily points to his holiness. He still, when he sums it up, he points to love. And, and now he gives this new commandment as he walks the earth as the lamb of God, as the ultimate sacrifice. He's anticipating the Holy Spirit indwelling you and me. So I'm gonna give you this new law. I want you to love like I loved. And in the end, He's going to demonstrate that love by dying. And because of that death, he redefines us as a people, not as individuals, but as a community, a community, a family of his followers. And so when the world looks at us, they ought to say, we love. They ought to say about Radius Church, Radius Church loves. I'm confident that in Lexington, they say Radius Church serves. I'm not completely confident that they would say we love. 
We got work to do. One of the reasons we press groups all the time is because we believe it's uh, so important to the development of a follower of Jesus that he be in close community with somebody. And, and this is part of the reason. Because when you're in close community, you're forced to know somebody else's story, to spend some time in the presence of God, and then by his spirit, learn to love each other. 31 years living in the house with Cheryl, I, I, I have learned to love her with the good and the bad, right? And she's learned to love me with the good and the bad. And when you're in a group, you get to see all sorts of people. And they're over the course of time in the word of God, the opportunity to love. So what's interesting is that Lexington might come to Christ more because you participate in a group than because of the chicken that we gave out recently, right? Or, or the money that we passed out to the waitresses and, and the money that we passed out to the hairdressers. All, all the cool stuff we've been able to do together, which we'll continue to go, do. Perhaps Lexington is more likely to follow our Jesus because of how we love one another in group. A little odd for me because love doesn't just flow off my tongue real easily. Uh, but I get to work with a group of elders here at Radius who I love, right? Uh, Lynn Kesey was here at the very beginning of Radius Church, and I love him. And because I love Lynn, I love his family. Brian Kirkland was here really early as well, and we've been together for 16, 17 years, and I, I love him. Even when I wasn't in this town, I come back to talk and hang out with them. Uh, there's this cool, special relationship that the followers of Jesus have because of, our, because of his love for us demonstrated. Now we're able to take that love and give it to others. And so Lexington County, uh, out in Saluda, over in Irmo, there ought to be this, this pressure on the world around us because of how well we love each other. Let me go a little deeper, maybe get a little more personal. My neighborhood needs to see me love Cheryl. 31 years is really important. Me to stay and keep loving and learning to love and her to stay and keep loving. It's important for them to look in on our family as flawed as it is and for them to see love. That's, that's a, a pill that I have to constantly swallow and think through because I can get to where I just serve Cheryl, do the things that she wants, try to keep her happy and lose some of that love. But the neighbors aren't watching whether I cut the grass and keep it clean and make the garbage to the curb and, and help in the kitchen, help with the kids. The neighbors, they can smell whether I love her or not. The families of Radius Church, again, all of us are broken in one way or another. Our, our highest charge based on the Bible to represent Jesus in, in our community is how we love our first neighbor, my wife, your husband perhaps, your children, possibly and probably. Children, it's, it's your responsibility to love your mom and dad. That stands out at school more than anything else possibly could, that you're related to the living God because he is love, says First John. Grandparents, we got this cool opportunity to love our grandchildren, which means obviously we're going to enjoy holding them and giving some gifts, but it probably means that we line up with their parents and discipline because we love them. We want the best for them. We want them to develop. We don't want them to need us forever. We love them. 
It's an amazing charge that Jesus gave to the very earliest of believers that the whole world will know that you're my disciples, not because I'm present, because of your love for one another. Now, we get to read the rest of the book and we understand that he's sending this great counselor with a capital C and that counselor is the Holy Spirit. And at salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us and really empowers us to love. I just, I just want to present to you, based on 1 John, that if you're not loving your wife and your kids and your neighbors, if you're not loving some people in a small group or, or people that are a part of the body of Christ, you really need to ask the question whether you've been saved, whether you have the Holy Spirit within you. Because the followers of Jesus have been given this amazing gift that an unchanging God will unconditionally love us. It means he never stops loving us. He, he loves me no matter what happens. And there's this, there's this rest that I have because of that love. It gives me the confidence and the security to love others. It actually overflows out of me. So he pours that unconditional love and his pitcher never goes dry and potentially my little empty vessel can overflow that love on others. And if there's not a trail of the overflow of God's love in your life among the relationships around you, which should start in your home and ought to flow, overflow into other believers, then there's really no proof, says this passage, that you've, been, you've accepted his love for you. Bo, I hope if you know him, this is just a moment. Slow down and celebrate all the peace that you have because he loves you. I was getting ready to preach today. I turned on my favorite old tunes commissioned, raised my hands at my table and just celebrated the fact that Jesus loves me. It changed my whole person, not just my eternity, my whole person, even today. And if you haven't met him, verse after verse in this Bible that may be a little complicated to you at times says that Jesus loves you. Perhaps you grow up at church and we, we sing these little really simple songs like Jesus loves me, this I know. And it says right after that, for the Bible tells me so. And it says it over and over in the most famous of verses. That he, John three sixteen that he loves the world. How does he love the world? That he actually sacrifices his son on the cross. And if you believe, you can have a relationship with him, right? In Romans, it actually grabs that same thought over and over that he loved us while we were yet sinners. So he's not looking at who you are right now. He's already loved you. Would you believe for the first time? And come join me in this place of rest and joy that you can only have as one who's believed in Jesus. Hey, Radius Church, 2020 is a crazy year. We want the world to see our love for one another. So if you got the courage to, whether you do it on Zoom or in person, jump into one of these groups and go into the group with the purpose of loving the people in that circle. I love y'all. It's fun to do this together. Let's pray. What a crazy statement, Lord. Thank you for love. Thank you for teaching me how to love. Thank you for trusting the church with your love. Thank you for driving your son all the way to the cross because you loved us. 
Lord, we want to, we want to meet the demands of this command that uh, the whole world would know you because of our love for one another. Sitting in this room with Mike, who just led worship, Lord, we, we want the world to see that we love each other just on this video. <laughs> Lord, going back home in a little while to sit with my family, I want my neighbors to know that we love you because of our love for one another. I had a great group last year. Thank you for it. Thank you for the love that we shared. Fun, it was fun celebrating uh, a new baby for uh, Brenton Tennille. We thank you for that love that you trust us with. Help us keep loving. We love you, Jesus. Amen.